Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things bookish, nerdy, and this month, queer. I am normally joined by my fabulous co-host, Michaela, but she's currently gallivanting across Europe on a very well-deserved vacation. Instead, I'll be joined by the absolutely fabulous Juno Dawson, best-selling author of a few of my favorite books. This book is gay. I'm sure all of you know this one by now. Um, Her Majesty's Royal Coven Trilogy and the adorable and timely new children's book, You Need to Chill. Are we plugging all of the things? I hope that we are. Thanks. (laughs) Say hi, Juno. Hi, Juno. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's so lovely to see you again. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me again after our lovely garden party on Saturday. It was very lovely to meet you in real life as well. We did try to record a brief interview, but the train kept interrupting us. Your lovely fans were very close by and wanted a piece of you, so we didn't get the best audio. So thank you for joining us again. Absolutely. Let's do it. If you're going to do it, do it right, I always say. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, (laughs) we're catching you right in the middle of your like book tour. And for any listeners that this episode might be their first introduction to you, I wanted to give them the full picture of Juno Dawson here. Sure. Your biography reads like someone who has 28 hours in their day instead of the regular (laughs) 24. You're a best-selling novelist, a screenwriter, a journalist, a TV producer, part-time actress, model, and a member of a cabaret collective. (laughs) How in the world do you find time to do all these? Well, to be honest, I don't. Um, I think think when I get back to the UK, I do need to, I think, chill. Like, I need to chill. (laughs) Um, It's I've been busy for a long, long time. And I think if you come from a working-class background, you will completely get that fear of saying no. Exactly. That if you ever say no to any opportunity, you won't be asked again. And so for like 10 years, I've just said yes to every single opportunity that has come my way. And that's why my CV is so packed. But it's interesting. So for example, like the acting, mm-hmm. whereas yeah, I did get cast in a couple of shows. I was in I May Destroy You. And I was in like a, like a soap opera thing called Holby City for a while. And I realized... While I was on Holby City, mm-hmm. I absolutely do not have time to be an actor. Like <laughs> I, I realized, no, that is, that is, you can't, being an actress is not a side hustle. It has to be your main hustle kind of. Mm-hmm. And so it's things like that now. So never say never. If like an amazing opportunity came along, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. But right now I'm concentrating on the thing that I love most, which is writing. So I'm going to be just writing the books and writing the scripts from now on. Well, all of us are very happy that that is what you are focusing on. We're obsessed with these books. Thanks. I don't know Thank if you're, you. I don't know if you get on TikTok too often, but people have been recommending nearly all of your books for the last, what day is it? 23rd of June. They've been doing it the entire month. Every Pride Month comes along. Your name is right back into the mix again. Oh, no, I mean, that that's amazing. So I love TikTok, but I, I believe TikTok is a space for readers. And mm-hmm. um, so I do, I make the odd video. So I do kind of, I think people are always interested in the process of, of being an author, yes. like, um, because there are so many writers on there as well. But I do, I think it's a bit like Goodreads. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think reviewers need authors kind of like watching over them, like, like a sort of like a strict school mom kind Mm -hmm. of so um so I do love TikTok the algorithm 
it knows me. It knows I love K-pop. It knows <laughs> I love queer fiction and horror fiction. It knows I love like obscure horror movies. So the, the algorithm knows me really well, but I certainly wouldn't say I was a TikTok creator. I will say many of us wish that we could see you more often on there, but we understand that your time is dedicated to doing the thing that we we want to consume from you, right? Not saying we don't want to mm-hmm. consume more of the Doctor Who podcast, but um, I've done a little bit of a deep dive, so it's been a fun 48 hours for me <laughs> going through everything that you have had a hand in. So I know that we have briefly mentioned This Book is Gay, one of the books that changed mm-hmm. many people's lives, including my own. I asked you this in our very first meeting, but people have really credited you with giving them like a a map to like how to function in society. And when we were talking, you said folks of your generation, of your age, didn't really have one. You were kind of stumbling through some stuff. Can you kind of elaborate Mm -hmm. on that just a little bit? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I think what we would call a geriatric millennial (laughs) in that I am. I think I, I was born the very first year you could class yourself a millennial. I was born mm. in 1981. Okay. Um, so I'm now 41. And I grew up in the UK under something called Section 28, which was legislation mm-hmm. that Margaret Thatcher introduced, which meant that teachers and librarians were forbidden from talking about LGBTQ issues. It was it mm-hmm. was the original Don't Say Gay. It was like right. the, the OG, Don't Say Gay, basically. And... That meant that my teachers just couldn't help me, you know, and I and I desperately, desperately needed help. And I grew up in a in a small kind of suburb mm-hmm. in West Yorkshire. And then when I moved to college and then later on the city into Brighton, you know, I was really unprepared, mm-hmm. you know, and not not in a not in like a big dramatic way, but just in a million small ways. I was just not prepared for adult life. You know, I didn't know how to date. I didn't know how to break up with someone. I didn't know how to navigate consent or boundaries, any of those things. And, you know, it could have been, and I think teachers should be talking about these things. I think when we call it sex education, Mm -hmm. it's actually very misleading because actually the ins and outs of sexual intercourse are just the tip of the iceberg. And actually the emotional impact of dating mm-hmm. I think is is huge and and when I wrote this book is gay I was just like what if young queer people didn't have to do this blind mm-hmm. what if you know there's no experience a book could never replace experience mm-hmm. but certainly can give you some tips and some pointers yeah and and that was kind of what I hoped for and kind of you know I felt even when I wrote this book in 2013, I still felt, however far we've come, I think being a queer teenager is still really scary. Yeah. You know, the the culture, the environment seems, like, determined to make life harder for queer kids. And so I thought, well, what if there was something that could just make it a little bit easier? And that's how the book came about. Ugh. I do wish when I was a younger, a much younger person, like, you know, elementary age, I had had somebody who had given me a little bit of a pointer because when I came mm-hmm. out, when, when, when we come out, it's always the like, oh, we've always known. I'm like, we, could you have told me? I would have loved to have known. <laughs> I will say though, when I've talked to other folks about this book and the reactions have been interesting to it of from eye opening to being like, this is what it feels like to question my own, mm-hmm. not even just queerness, but my own allyship, not realizing other folks are going through this exact thing that you've described. And, you know, it does talk about 
dating and i wish i had taken more of the advice maybe <laughs> oh me too me too i was heartless yeah yeah i i feel like were the under the thatcher's thing that you just talked about were they able to pull books about any of this kind of thing as well or yeah, it was, it was a book that started it. So there was a book from the 1970s called Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin mm-hmm. that was about, it's like a children's kind of picture book. It's very 70s. But that, that was what started it all. So we have a really trash newspaper called the Daily Mail. Ugh, yep. And they ran headlines about gay gay picture book in children's schools. Yep. And that was what began it. So truly you know what we are seeing now in in many parts of the united states is kind of what happened in the uk in the 1980s which was this moral panic Mm -hmm. around children's books and this notion that a book could somehow turn turn a child queer which is so ludicrous yeah it's 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 beyond it's beyond intelligent reason, yeah. you know, to think that a book could have that much impact because every single story we got as kids featured a prince and a princess, exactly. that everybody was cisgender, and yet miraculously those books did not turn astray or turn mm-hmm. as um, cisgender. So, you know, that is how I know that that, that kind of logic is crazy person logic truly they don't want to hear this logic because they don't care they don't they don't want to hear reason everything that has been put forward in terms of like the reasons that they're doing anything you'll notice all the books that have been banned are about people of color or queer people it's never any kind of book Uh that deals with heterosexual romance or sex it's it's everything else I think I do think it's funny in Utah they're trying to ban the Bible. It's like a little bit of a funny reversal on some of this because nice. it's going into <laughs> because of the content. Exactly. But it's so funny. This is this is such a such a segue. But yesterday morning in the hotel, mm-hmm. I had just like morning TV, like the back to back episodes of Brooklyn Nine Nine or something. <laughs> and between between the episodes, they had obviously the ad break, mm-hmm. and this ad popped up for a law firm saying, "Have you been sexually abused by a priest in Chicago?" Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like. This was at like 8.30 in the morning. So if you're allowed to talk about sexual abuse on television at 8.30 in the morning, I don't think this book is gay is is something that we should be banning. <laughs> just, just a suggestion. And also, yeah, mad. And I know they always say everybody, all the book runners, they're always trying to say, you know, it's think of the children, what somebody think of the children. And yet these people are not no. campaigning for tighter gun control. They're not, they're not pushing you know, vaccinations for children. And so there are real life things you could be doing to look after the children. And it's not banning books. That is, no, no, no book ever killed anyone. Exactly, 100%. And I agree with you. There are so many things that could be focusing on. And instead, they, they, as you said, they talk about who will think of the children while they're defunding all of the school lunches. They're defunding different healthcare programs. They they have never cared about the children. And they have proven that time and time again that they do not care about queer children. No, it's it's a political issue. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in both the UK and the US next year, we have election years. Yes. And I think when when as a political party, you don't have anything else to offer, like you don't have anything real or tangible to offer voters, you turn to these kind of insane kind of hot button topics Mm -hmm. to try steer towards hatred. And I I do think, I think leveraging hatred is the most desperate bid Mm -hmm. for votes when you haven't got anything real to offer. Mm -hmm. Um, Just send out dog whistles to two bigots. Yeah. And that's, I think that's really depressing. If you're relying on that kind of vote, that's really sad. We see it 
all of the time. I used to work in politics and we we do see it all of the time. Not only do they do what you're describing, but they also draw all the election maps to make sure that they've concentrated all of the power that they possibly could. And it's really funny because in those places where you've seen it, uh, it's been gerrymandered, those are the exact areas where your books have been banned. So the exact areas that need it. Wow, it's almost like it makes total sense. Surprise. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to, it's very interesting that you bring up uh, the children's book thing because you've just, you've just written one. You've just written a fabulous mm-hmm. one. And you did a reading to, uh, <laughs> of the book to us and it was an all adult audience, which I just thought was hilarious. <laughs> so welcome. Everybody, who doesn't love being read to? It's fine. I love it. So this book is actually going to my, uh, my brother and my niece is going to have it. You go from writing this very like intense a couple of books, I should say, Her, Matchy's Royal Coven, mm. you know, This Book is Gay, to writing this beautifully illustrated children's book. Can you talk to us about not only writing for different audiences, but writing for a different intent? I think I think they all come from the same sort of place. I think mm-hmm. especially in, so all, so obviously the pandemic was a fruitful period where mm-hmm. there was no touring and no events, so actually could get quite a lot of work done. So there's three titles, Her Majesty's Royal Coven, which is an adult fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. Um, you Need to Chill, a picture book for elementary school children. And then we also did What's the Tea, mm-hmm. which is the follow-up to This Book is Gay. And actually, all three of those books, although they're for very different audiences, they're all born out of rage. Yeah, They're all born out of a real frustration that even during the pandemic, the British press still found so much time to talk about transphobia and to kind of peddle these kind of scaremongering stories. And I was furious and I didn't know what I could do. I felt like I don't have any political power beyond being a voter. I just wasn't sure what I could do. So I thought, well, I do this one thing. I write books. I can do one thing. And I'm in a very privileged position in that I am, I'm being listened to. I've got the ear of the publishing industry. And so all three of those books in some way are trying to make life easier for trans people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, You Need to Chill is about how do you explain to a very young group of people about just what is a trans person. Yeah. It's not a big deal. You need to chill. What's the tea is hopefully a lifeline to young trans and non-binary people. That map, again, a, a roadmap mm-hmm. to get them through an incredibly turbulent time, both materially in real life and also online. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's such a mess right now. And then um, Her Majesty's Royal Coven was my way of talking about this kind of schism within feminism, whereby you have, you know, everyone I know describes himself as a feminist and is able to recognize that different groups of women have different needs of feminism and that we have different levels of oppression and, and different ways in which white women and black women, poor women and rich women, trans women and cis women need different help. And then similarly, you also have some some people who are saying that trans women are not women and that they refuse to recognize the womanhood of trans women. And so that was what I wanted to explore in Her Majesty's Royal Coven. But I wanted to do it in a way that I found interesting. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to write a book of essays um, like Sean Fay did, for example. I I wanted to write a big fantasy trilogy because that's what I love. That's what I used to read growing up. And, you know, I was such a fan of, X-Men and Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh. and the craft. And so those are all my favorite things. And the Spice Girls. All my favorite <laughs> things 
in in an amazing witchy trilogy. And I think, you know, it's done so well Mm -hmm. in both the US and the UK. And I think that's really, really interesting. I think I think a very serious book about trans rights wouldn't have sold nearly as many copies. I think people right now really want to be entertained and you can come for the witchcraft and stay for the polemic. (laughs) I love it because there is this big conversation going on right now, specifically talking about what you're saying. A lot of uh, queer books that are being recommended are all nonfiction or very personal essays. And those are necessary, Mm -hmm. but People are like, we can learn something from these fantasy worlds. This is a mirror to what we would like to see happen in our own world. And that's what you've done with Her Majesty's Royal Coven, which is fabulous. I even got Thanks. I even got my brother a copy. And he's like, when does the next one come out, actually? So I'll have to bug you about that at another point. <laughs> this week. It comes out this week. Shadow Cabinet came out this week in all good bookshops. There you we can go. buy it this week. It came out on Tuesday. There you go. Plug, plug, plug. I'm going to make sure he knows. <laughs> the Shadow Cabinet out now <laughs> the shadow cabinet out now at your local bookstore or bookshop.org not sponsored we just love them mm-hmm. uh, and the prequel you also mentioned a prequel that's coming out next summer right yes so yes yeah, so it's gonna go book one mm-hmm. book two book zero and then book three Perfect. and that is because i really wanted to take my time with book three i want it to i want the ending to be flawless so but as soon as there's a scene in the shadow cabinet where kira our mm-hmm. sort of antagonist discovers she goes to the house of Hecate which is where mm-hmm. the oracles live yes. and she sees this this portrait of Anne Boleyn who of course founded the coven in in the 16th century and it's like the lost Holbein portrait because there, there are no official portraits mm-hmm. of Anne Boleyn we don't really know what she looked like yeah. because her legacy was kind of resurrected once her daughter became queen mm-hmm. so it's thought that actually some of the portraits of Anne Boleyn mm-hmm might actually not be on Berlin. So in The Shadow Cabinet, we we do actually Kira sees an actual portrait of Anne Boleyn that was rescued from Hampton Court. And I was kind of like, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Who rescued that portrait? Who were the first witches? So it's called Queen Bee, the first coven, and it comes out next summer. So, <gasps> so, so yeah, Her Majesty's Well Coven, The Shadow Cabinet, Queen Bee, and then Human Rights, oh. spelled R-I-T-E-S, is going to be the last the last one, and that will be 2025, presumably. Oh, that's so exciting. People on TikTok are going to mm-hmm. freak out. <laughs> I know one exclusive. of Exclusive. Our... It's not an exclusive. It's not an exclusive, I said on my but they're going to freak yesterday. out. But, but this is the first interview. This is the first interview I've done. So. Oh, well, I did I did not know that. I'm very flattered. <laughs> We've been talking. Just good timing. Just great timing. I, I don't normally have good timing, so this is fabulous for me. Let me tell you right now. <laughs> you know that from our little... <laughs> Uh, unfortunate interview horrible timing for me <laughs> it was very it was very lovely in the sunny sure. in the sunny garden of the astoria bookshop in queens it was very lovely we just couldn't hear what we were saying absolutely i Never tried mind. so hard to make that audio sound good you did. you're just so lovely but you're talking well, about these books being this book one particular book being banned i do think that what's the tea is probably going to end up unfortunately getting the same treatment right well what do you I think? think? Good luck with that. Because we learned a lot from this book is gay. You know, I'm, I'm like a pigeon. I can learn. Mm. And when people try to challenge this book is gay, sometimes they can be a little bit sneaky about it. Mm-hmm. And they can say, well, actually, we're banning it on the grounds of obscenity. And actually, there, there were a couple of swear words in this book is gay. Although I think we might have re-edited it for the 2019 issue um, to make it less sweary. Um, and 
the sex education chapter mm-hmm. was definitely a bit more graphic. Whereas for What's the Tea, we were like, well, let's not give them any ammunition. Oh, yeah. So we we made it way more, way more PG. It, it's much less kind of graphic in terms of sex education. The In What's the Tea, I just sort of talk about because trans bodies can be like anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of like, well, I don't want to talk about kind of like this is what sex is like. Sure. So instead I just talk about pleasure. And, you know, these are the erogenous zones on a human body. You need to communicate with your partner because the most important thing in the world is that you find out what does it for them. And and so actually it's very kind of, it's not particularly racy. And, yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see if What's the Tea gets banned. Because realistically, mm-hmm. the only reason you could ban that book is because it, it it's about being trans. Like, it, I don't think it's doing anything shocking. But we'll see. I fear you're probably right, to be honest. I want to agree with you so much that like you've done a lot to make sure that you've pulled away any of the ammunition that could be used against it. Mm-hmm. The folks who are doing this and the legislators are looking at all of it through such a weird lens. They see even the mere mention of a trans person existing as a personal yeah. affront, not only to themselves, but to the well-being of any children nearby. And it's mm-hmm. succeeded in many of these school districts. It's been pulled, and not what's a T, but specifically other books that mention trans characters, they have been pulled. I don't want it yeah. to be pulled. I want all of you listening right now to buy the books that we have been mentioning right now. Please go do so. <laughs> There'll be Thanks. a- Yes, please. That would be- helpful. Absolutely. So the last thing I think I want to touch on for the band portion of this, what would you like to say to these legislators or these school board members or parents who have tried Mm -hmm. or successfully banned one or so of your books? What would you like to say to them? Well, I think I would, I would sort of appeal to common sense, which is banning books is sets a real precedent, mm-hmm. which is what what will they ban next? You know, is is this really what you want? Do you want the government dictating what it is you can and cannot read? Because that's not something anybody wants. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think. I think um, they need to have trust in librarians and educators who are professionals and know what they're doing. But but by and large, I think I would also appeal to kindness and empathy yeah. and say why don't you want every young person to feel included? Yeah. Because these books aren't going to make a difference to someone's identity, but it will help them to feel included. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I think that that that's really what it's about. Not every child in a class is going to be LGBTQ, yeah. but there will be some. Of course. And actually it's just about making every young person feel safe and included. And, I think wherever you fall politically, I think we can all agree that that's a a good thing, that regardless of your family, regardless of your children, let's make everyone feel included. It feels good to be yourself. And I think that all adults, Mm -hmm. we always say, like, be who you are and with an asterisk a lot of the time. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much. I think that that's exactly what people need to hear. Some parents need to internalize that, especially if they are Mm -hmm. uh, the parent of a child who they don't quite understand yet. Mm -hmm. Lastly. The thing I do okay. want us to the thing I do want us to hit on because I know that you're on a whirlwind book tour. You're going all over the place. I am, uh, yeah. So the book you just wrote, You Need to Chill, 
Mm-hmm. Was this inspired by any particular conversation? Was there anything that inspired you to write this besides kind of introducing young folks to trans people? Because this is so cute, Juno. This has done so well. It is. And a big, massive shout out to Laura Hughes, who's the illustrator as well. No, no one wants to see my drawing. So, and Laura Hughes has done just a beautiful job. Um, it's gorge. Um It was very specific, actually. An editor came to me with the suggestion, which very rarely happens. But this was her home situation, whereby I think it was like a family friend or a distant family member had the situation in the book where there was like a teenage child who was in the early stages of socially Mm. transitioning. And their parents were kind of like, well, how do we explain this to our younger child? Because, you know, we just, if only there was a book, if only there was like some sort of, middle safe ground that we could use to have this conversation and there had been trans picture Mm -hmm. books about kind of little little animals who feel sad until they put on a dress and and I was kind of like "Mm, okay that's (laughs) maybe not that's not what I want to do and it feels almost a bit sad so I wanted to do something kind of anarchic and riotous and funny that did kind of also serve a purpose because I figured actually no I used to be a teacher Mm -hmm. and and I know how useful it is to just have a book on your shelf and you know it it opens up conversation and you know I remember when I used to teach using and Tango Makes Three the the lovely book about the Mm -hmm. little gay penguins you know I I was I had my class were five and six year olds at the time and and you know somebody was always like oh my uncle my uncle has is married to a man you know so there was always I think that's that's just the world yeah. we live in, you know, and this is the reality, the lived reality of, of children now. And I think, you know, most children are not going to be trans and a tiny, tiny percentage of the population is trans. But I think, you know, a lot of kids are going to know a trans uncle or a trans aunt or a trans mm-hmm. babysitter or, you know, someone, you know, and I think you need to chill. I, I like that it's not too yes. heavy. I like that it keeps it light because I think the last thing we need is kind of like a super heavy book about what it is to be trans for young children. Yes, I 100% agree with everything that you've said. I've already uh, lent it to a couple, since I've seen you, literally like a week ago, I've lent it to a couple of friends to show uh, their siblings. So it's been absolutely already Mm -hmm. you are making people kind of change their attitude and kind of uh, up their understanding of these folks. The very last Thank question you. that we want to ask you, Juno, is what is next on your to-be-read list? We've talked about a lot of your books. What book are you going to be reading next? Okay, so I've got one for the plane on the way home. I got borrowed it from my publisher. It's called Delicate Condition. Ooh. And it is the book that the next season of American Horror Story is based on this book. So I'm gonna oh. I'm going to read the book before the new series of American Horror Story. They need to get you on that show, I really feel like. They need to reach out. I'll tag them in the comments. Uh, (laughs) Juno, I super, super appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk about all of these things with us. Goodbye, everybody. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Pages Unknown. Talk to you later. Thank you.